Psalm 119, the verse 129. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. The rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come into your holy presence. We pray for your help, your wisdom. As we think upon uh, Martin Luther's translation of the scriptures and the value that God's word continues to have for us today. We pray that we will know your help as we seek to understand all of these things. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the eternal Spirit, our Comforter, just be with us as we think upon your word and lighten our eyes to your truth. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. The text that I really want to think about today is found in the verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light It's one of the great images of the Protestant Reformation that the light began to come. After the darkness came the light. And that really is illustrated most wonderfully as we think of of Martin Luther on this important anniversary year because this is the 500th anniversary of the translation of the New Testament into German. And that was the first of the Reformation translations. Uh, Tyndale's translation would would follow a little later in 1525, whenever he translated the the Scriptures into English. But the first of the Reformation translations, giving God's Word to the people in their common language, in what the church called the vulgar languages. An awful word to describe the languages that were commonly spoken by people, the common languages. And so Luther translation really, uh, he plowed a furrow that others followed. So let's think about Luther first of all and think of how he came to know about the Bible. Because we come to church and we all have Bibles. There's Bibles in the pews, there's Bibles in our homes, and we have more than one Bible. And we do sadly take it for granted that we have a Bible. But Luther grew up in a world where there was no Bible. There was no Bible. The the only Bibles were in Latin. Latin largely was not spoken and wasn't understood except by the religious elite. It was a language of scholarship and of law and of religion and of the church, but it wasn't the language of the people. But many people could not read anywhere. And 
Bibles would have been much too expensive for people to procure. Uh, for example, in one of the um, in one of the cases in the porch, you will see a reproduction of the Gutenberg Bible. Now, the Gutenberg Bible was the first book ever printed. It was printed by a man called Gutenberg. He was the first man to begin printing. He was a German. The first book he printed was the Bible. Came in two huge volumes. That replica is exactly what the original Gutenberg Bible would have looked like. Now, you can't obviously get an original today, but uh, there was a small number of uh, reproductions done back, back in the early 1960s, and, and, and that's one volume from the two-volume set. And you'll see the size of it, and the, the, the cost of purchasing that would have been beyond the ordinary people, even if they could read Latin, which most of them couldn't. So, the Bible was absolutely and completely inaccessible. So Luther, growing up, was brought up in a very religious home. Most people were religious in those days. He was brought up to, to go to church, to have respect for the church, brought up to reserve all the holy days. But he wasn't brought up to be taught the Bible. The Bible was something remote. Even basic Bible facts were not taught to children, to young people in those days. So when you went to church, there was the performance, there was the mass, there was the choirs, but people were largely in ignorance where the teaching of God's Word were concerned. So he grew up in a world without a Bible, a world that didn't have the Bible. That's why this period of history that the world was slowly coming out from was known as the Dark Ages because the Bible was hidden, because only the Bible can bring light. So that's the first thing we should recognize. And it should humble us greatly to think of what we have today in terms of Scripture. It's an amazing legacy we have. How did this man who didn't have the Bible, who was brought up to be very superstitious, people were incredibly superstitious. Every nationality had their superstitions. The Irish had their superstitions. The fairies, the leprechauns, all that kind of thing. Luther was brought up to believe in the, the goblins of the forest. And, and if you did bad, the devil would come and get you. And, it was a religious world of, of fear. It was a religious world where people weren't familiar with God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness. Your sight of God was the crucifix, the goriness of Christ on that cross. But there wasn't hope there. It was the world that he was brought up with. He was sent by his father, Hans, to be educated in the University of Erfurt, and it was his father's wish that his son should be a lawyer. And to put it crudely, for Hans Luther Martin, who had shown to be himself to be a, a very intelligent young man, and Hans saw Martin as his pension pot. Get him into law, he'll earn lots of money, he'll use his brains well, and whenever myself and Margarita are old, we'll have a, a son who is earning lots of money and he'll be there to look after us. Well, it didn't just work out like that, for Luther didn't make money for his father, much to his father's disgust, because he would eventually leave the university to go into the monastery. But some biographers of Luther say it, it was in the university, he was trawling through the library, and he found a Bible, and he started to read it. It could have been the Gutenberg Bible, a Bible very similar to that replica you'll see there just below the screen. And he started to read it. 
Now, he couldn't take it away from the library. He couldn't bring it to his room. It was just there. He started to page through it, and he, he read stories. Story of David killing Goliath. Story of, of Samuel. Suddenly, his mind became opened up to this remarkable book that he had never before had read. And perhaps that was one of the things that was burning into his heart, making him so discontented. Whenever that lightning storm came and he thought he was going to die, he made a promise to God, I'm going to become a monk. And so he left the university behind to go into the Augustinian monastery in Erfurt. And it was as a result of his interactions in the monastery that he eventually was converted and it was through the Bible. You see, all these statues of Luther, many of them in Germany, for he is a a famous German hero to this day. He carries a Bible. He's the man with the Bible. He didn't have a Bible and he was introduced to it. Then he was converted through the teachings of the Bible and this is why we're thinking about St. Augustine tonight because Luther became an Augustinian monk. And when becoming a monk, he would have had to read the writings of the great Augustine of Hippo. And Augustine of Hippo was a very evangelical man who lived a thousand years before Luther, a long time before us. And Augustine had a name. The Catholic Church still call him to this day the Doctor of Grace. So he would have been exposed to the the teachings of Augustine. But Luther, in his early years in the monastery, went through these horrible and terrible times of deep depression. There's a German name for it, Anfiktung. It it can't be translated into the English. It's more than a depression of the mind. It's also a depression of the soul, a darkness of the heart, a darkness of the whole man. And he, he would undergo the most horrific acts of penance to try and sort out his sin problem. And he never could have peace. And things were so bad, his fellow monks thought he was going to die. And so he was introduced to a man called John Staupitz, who was the the director general of the uh, Augustinians in Germany. And he was a man who had been enlightened, who had read the scriptures, studied the scriptures. And it was him who talked to Luther about the importance of faith, trusting Christ for salvation. And it was Staupitz who suggested to Luther that he should move away from Erfurt and he should relocate to Wittenberg to a new university and he should there become a doctor of theology and he should begin teaching people the word of God. And to Luther it seemed a very strange thing. He was filled with all of this depression, all of this anxiety, all of these doubts and yet he was supposed to be teaching others. But it was through teaching others that he himself would be taught. And so he began to study the Bible as he never studied it before. And from the year 1512, he began to take the people through the Scriptures. And he would take his students, and he would take fellow Augustinian monks, and he would take congregations of people, he would take them through the Scriptures. He led them through a study in the Psalms, first of all. That was a very natural thing to do, because as a monk, he often would have prayed through the prayers in the Psalms, and he he had some familiarity with the Psalms, but going through the Psalms, Luther was always looking for salvation, looking for Christ, and he did find Christ. 
He found Christ in Psalm 22 on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He found Christ in the Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He found Christ in ever so many places. And his mind was being opened. His heart was being opened. And then, having done that in 1516, he, he came to the book of Romans. The book of Romans would ever be the book that he is most associated with because there he, he saw this great doctrine of justification. The just shall live by faith, by faith, by faith alone. He would say at a later time that whenever these words sunk into his heart, he said the light came. He was born again. He used those phrases. He realized that he could only be right with God through faith in Christ alone. But it took years. It took years of study, years of searching, years of seeking before he came to that place. And here we are with the simplicity of the gospel from as early as we can remember and how we take it for granted. And this man labored and struggled for years and then the light came, hunched there in a cell Pearl light pouring over the scripture. God came to his heart. He was converted by grace. And now we come to his translation of the scriptures, and this is the 500th anniversary of his translation of the scriptures. And he was converted sometime around 1516. It's just difficult to say when exactly Luther was converted. In 1517, he nailed his 95 Thesis to the church door at Wittenberg. We'll look into all that now and today. We haven't time. It was a significant moment. It propelled him into a very wide arena. Because suddenly, even the Pope himself was talking about the things that Luther was teaching. And the church saw his teachings now as a threat to their order. And he was becoming a very popular man in Germany. Because as far as the Germans were concerned, here was one man standing up to the powers that be. Standing up to the church. Church was becoming unpopular in Germany, standing up to Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. And so Luther was being propelled to an international stage. It all reached ahead in the year 1521 when he was ordered to appear before the Diet of Worms, appear before the emperor himself to give an answer for what the church regarded as heresy. There were those who would have liked to have taken and burnt him to the stake in 1521, but they couldn't because he had the protection of the elector of Saxony man called Frederick, Frederick the Wise. And he protected Luther. And the emperor had to give a promise that Luther could come and appear before this trial, but he could not be touched. And so Luther left Worms, having said, here I stand, I could do none other, God helping me. I will not recant or turn back from what I believe to be truth. My conscience will not be bound by what man is saying. So he left Worms. But from that moment, he was a marked man. From that moment, for the rest of his life, he would be under the sentence of death. And so Frederick the Wise sent two soldiers after him. They captured him. His friends scattered. They blindfolded him. They put a hood on him. They took him to this castle, the Wartburg. And there he remained for 10 months. And during these 10 months, his hair grew. He no longer had the tonsure. He grew a beard. He changed out of the clothes of the monk. He took on a new name called Junker George. Even the very people that worked in the castle didn't know who he was. There was only one man who knew who he was, and that was 
somebody that the, the elector had placed there to look after him, watch over him, and be his companion. He spent 10 months in this place. When he woke up the next morning and looked out, he knew exactly where he was because this was just outside Eisenach where he grew up as a child. It was very familiar countryside. His friend who was there to look after him tried to take him hunting. Put the time in. Luther tried it. Didn't like it. On one occasion, there was a, a rabbit was trying to get away from the dog and ran up Luther's leg and the dog went for the rabbit and took a piece of Luther's leg at the same time. Luther said that hunting was like the work of the devil. He said the devil hunts souls and here we are hunting animals. No, he had to get to the study and he had to pray. During this time, as darkness and depression of souls sunk in again, he spent three whole days in prayer on one occasion, but he took to writing. During these 10 months, he wrote 12 books. And so the world at large knew that Luther was not dead. His books were still flying off the printing presses. Luther was great business for this pretty new uh, industry, printing, that was emerging. He was the first really popular writer of the printing age. And, and he, he was becoming very famous through that. But in those books was truth, precious truth. But during this time, when he was shut off alone, he translated the scriptures into the German language. He did it in three months. In three months, he went through the Greek New Testament. A man called Erasmus had traveled around Europe and had collected the, the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament together and had put them into one volume. The Erasmus New Testament text was published in 1516. Erasmus was never a wholehearted supporter of the Reformation, but he was very much a man who was very cynical and skeptical of the church. But God used Erasmus. And that Greek New Testament did the most amazing work because it contained the precious Word of God. And so Luther sat with that Greek New Testament and he put the words into German. Luther wanted to produce a New Testament that the people could read, but yet only 10% of the people could read. So how was he going to get God's Word to the other 90%? This is what he did. He wrote it in such a way, he translated it in such a way that it was as, it was as easy to listen to as it was to read. And he wanted the language to be plain, to be simple, to be straightforward. He was criticized on one occasion because he put the word alone in, therefore being justified by faith alone. That's not in the word. I said, but that's what Paul's teaching. Let's put it in by faith alone. When he would translate eventually into the Old Testament, they said he wanted Moses to appear as if he was German. People would think it was a German man was speaking to them. And he did an awful lot for the German language in unifying the German language and Luther's uh, New Testament in German and eventually his scriptures in German would become one of the, the great moments in German, in German history. The man with the Bible giving the people the precious word of the living God. And he would do for Germany what Tyndale would do for the English language just a little while later. Yes, it was a most remarkable work. But in, in closing, let us think about this text and, and what, what we can learn here. The entrance of thy words. 
giveth light. Because we have God's Word today. It has been given to us. We have it in our language. And we should appreciate it, make use of it, value it. The entrance of thy words giveth light. First of all, we have the author here. The entrance of thy words. This book is the word of God. God is the author of the book. Yes, he used pen then. And he used Moses. And he used Samuel. And he used David. And he used Isaiah and Ezekiel and and Jeremiah and Obadiah and Micah and Malachi. All of those other prophets. Daniel. He used Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He used uh, Peter and he used Paul. But ultimately, he inspired them. The Spirit of God put His Word in the hearts and the minds of holy men of God so that they would record the Word of God. And whenever we handle this book and read it, we're reading God's Word. And we should ever remember that. As you take the Scriptures and as you read it, and as you look at it, you're looking at God's Word. As you hear God's word being taught here in church, you're hearing God's word. And we need the utmost reverence for the word of God. And whenever we read God, God's word, it is God speaking directly to us. That's what's happening. God is speaking directly to us. The entrance of thy words giveth light. And we need to appreciate that every time we come to the Scriptures. But there's also the access to the Word. The entrance of thy words giveth light. This word entrance, it's a a very interesting word in the Hebrew language. It literally means a hallway. So when you open the Scriptures and start to read it, you've entered the hallway. You've entered the foyer. You've entered the vestibule. You've gone through the entrance. You've entered the Word of God. So the Word of God is here presented like a, like a house. And we could take that illustration and we could just do ever so much with it. it. It's a mansion house. And there's corridors and there's rooms and there's doors. But you have to enter in first. And we enter into God's Word, first of all, when we read it, but more then read it. We have to put our faith in the Christ who is presented in God's Word because we will only have the light whenever we trust the truth, believe the truth, trust the truth, give our lives to the Savior. We enter into the Word, accept the core teachings that I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. Jesus Christ died for me that I might have life. The entrance of your Word, we enter into the Word to receive the light. But then, it's not just enough to go into the entrance. If you came to church and just stayed there the whole time outside in an entrance, wouldn't deliberately come and sit here. Or you go into any building, you go into the, the entrance, but have no desire to go any further. Go into your home and stay in, stay in the hall. It would be a bit odd, wouldn't it? So, 
uh, we, we enter in and then we explore. We go into the rooms. And I'm sure you've been around some lovely stately homes during holidays or whatever. And there's all these rooms and you go through them. You see what they were used for. And God's word is a, a wonderful mansion house. We have to take time with God's word. We have to access the word of God. Read it. Read it diligently. Read it prayerfully. Read it systematically. Try and get through the whole scriptures. Think about what we are reading. What's God saying here? What does he mean here? Oh, Leviticus might be difficult to read, but God has put it there. There's parts of Ezekiel are very mystical, but God has put it there. And parts of Daniel and the Revelation, they're hard to understand. But God has put it there. It's all for a purpose. Will he take time to read? Because the more we know of the light and the more we understand of the light, the light grows. It grows. And we will only grow whenever we take time with the word. The entrance of thy words giveth light. You know, Martin Luther was a bit discouraged. You know, he was a kind of a man. We, we, we know a lot about his life because he was a very social man. That, that period he had at the Wartburg was so difficult because he was, he was cut off from his regular community. And, and, and in fact, he, he got so fed up with it. After 10 months, he just left, went back to Wittenberg. And he was a very social man. He talked a lot. And particularly in his later years, he would sit with his students and, and they would record the things he was saying around the dinner table. And that became known as his table talk. And so he would tell all these stories. And, but he was also a man who very often, he, he, the, the cup was kind of half full. He, he, he saw life slightly on the darker side. Because he, his life has been hunted all the time, he always felt as if he was going to die the next day. He, had, he was that kind of an individual. And whenever he first translated the scriptures into the New Testament, and whenever it was published in, in, in the year 1522, the people said, give us the Old Testament. He said, they're not even taking time to read the New Testament. They're looking for the Old Testament already. And whenever they had the Old Testament, he felt, they're not reading it the way they should be reading it. And so he would sometimes get despondent about all of that, even though God had helped him do so many great and amazing and wonderful things. But it is true. We don't read the Bible as we should. And we don't think about it as we ought. And we don't surrender ourselves to it as we ought to surrender ourselves to it. The effect of God's word, light. The effect is light. If you don't know the Lord today, you're in darkness. If you're not trusting Christ as your Savior, you're in a state of spiritual darkness. Only the message of the word of God with Christ and his grace at the heart of it can give you light. And I trust that today you will have and you will enjoy and appreciate that light. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Write it upon every heart. For Christ's